Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. This is your host, John Landis, and I welcome you tonight to hear a very interesting interview that was done with bass player Bakiti Kumalo. Originally from South Africa, Bakiti is a mensch. He is um, a great character, just turned 66 years old. Happy birthday, Bakiti. And uh, I had the great privilege of interviewing him. I have a privilege to know him. He has been one of Paul Simon's bass players, probably the principal bass player for Paul since the Graceland album. And that story in and of itself is a fantastic one. And Bikichi will tell us during this interview what that was about and about meeting Paul, how he came from South Africa to the U.S., how he uh, learned early on uh, the bass in a very interesting way that he'll describe. One thing I didn't get a chance in the interview to talk about some of his influencers, and I will tell you that later. But let's right now, let's get to the interview that was done in early May 2022 with uh, wonderful bass player Bakiti Kumalo from South Africa and now the U.S. So this is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're here with Bikiti Kumalo. Hello, Bikiti. Hey, John, my friend. How are you doing, sir? Good, good, good. It's so nice to see you. And, Thank you. Same uh, to you. Yeah. So we're we're really uh, I am in particular, and the rest of us are eager to hear all about uh, your career because it's been a great career and it's been a really interesting career. But you started in South Africa. Yes, um, actually, I was born in uh, Alexandra Township, which is uh, a, a, a town uh, about twenty five minutes away from Johannesburg City. And then when I was about three months old, they moved me to my grandmother's house in the township of Soweto, which is like maybe about 45 minutes away from Johannesburg City. Now I, um, I had to live with my grandmother, my grandfather, because mom, my mother was working in the city. So she just left me with my grandfather. And, uh, and so at my grandmother's house, there was always music when I was a kid, you know, and my uncle played saxophone and my grandmother, this, uh, the church, you know, my, my grandfather was a medicine man and uh, it was very nice. He was, he, he was hectic. And uh, so, you know, like every year as I get like a year older and I just got very interested of what was going on. And uh, of course, the people around in the township singing and uh, and dress up every Sunday and sing uh, their favorite songs and represent their cultures. Um, and for me, that was enough information to, 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 to be a musician. And then I just stay focused with that. By the age of five, six, and um, so my uncle used to practice at home with his band. And uh, he had a big band, and they they play like you know Count Basie's music, and you know because he played saxophone, so he had like a lot of horns, baritone saxophone, and there was this one guy who was playing the, the the big plywood bass, and I got very interested because the sound was so huge, and uh, and it looks cool as a kid, and I'm like wow, you know the the instrument looks bigger than him. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But and it, but it sounds good, and so I started to like really clue to him and uh, ask him questions about what is this and that and this and the strings and everything. He will tell me, he'll teach me every time, and uh, so I got really really interested. And um, you know, but of course, you know, South Africa there was other things that was going on that now I started to see the different that. Um, 
the system was uh, kind of brutal on you know some uh, you know older people and uh, so that's when I knew that this is going to be a long journey but how do I get around this um, but my, for me it was about just stay focused and uh, and I did that and my first gig was with my uncle's band because my uncle's bass players um, had too much to drink so and, I, and so I had to help him <laughs> <laughs> that big was that big plywood base? No, no, no. They had a, the, you know, like a, uh, one year he just had another uh, a small base because I think because of drinking he couldn't carry this thing around. <laughs> right, right. So he got like a, a, a old Gibson and uh, and then I told my uncle, I said, yeah, I can help him. You know, I know the songs because I, you know, I sing the bass lines and also too I sing like. The tribes, people, when they're passing by, I sing all these bass lines, and then when I get a bass, I transfer it to bass. You know, that's why my thing is I always think melodic, you know, and and, and not much, uh, you know, uh, notes. You know, just playing a bunch of stuff, but just like you know, having the melody, especially after I got my fretless. So you know, I play in my uncle's band and. Um, and he liked it. And he said, hey, listen, you got something, so stay with it. You know. How, how old were you then? Becky? No, I was, I was about, you know, eight, eight years old. You were eight years old, playing with this. Yeah. All, all these your uncle, uncle's age. My, yes, my uncle's bass player. And, uh, yeah, the bass was too big, you know, but uh, I had to really get around it. And uh, since then. Did you have then, a bass of your own at that point? Did you have a base of your own? Did you have a, your own? No, base? we didn't have a base around. That was a thing too, because you know it was my uncle's base. But when he practiced at home, he usually lived his base at home. So, so I mess around practice. with it. Yeah, that's good. And then my uncle would tell me, you know, sometimes don't touch it because if anything breaks, then you know we we have no show. We have no bass player. <laughs> you know? Right. But then, but, all of a sudden, you're playing. Yeah. So my thing was now uh, I had to go to every part of the township to look for musicians, you know, like uh, every part of the street there was a band playing and, you know, during that time and so I'll come in and listen and sometimes I tell them that I know how to play a little bit and they give me the bass and I play they like and uh, some other people get kicked out, <laughs> you know. Right. Because for me I don't have a job, you know, I just show up any day in practice and the person who owns the music instrument is, uh, you know, he, he owns the instrument. Right. So w when you have to practice, you have to go to his house and practice. And then when you leave his house, you don't have an instrument to get home. That's when I started to think about the cardboard, uh, cardboard uh, box that I can just cut the card box and then, um, and make it like a bass, so it looks like a bass in the lines, and then just sing the bass lines in my head. Oh my goodness! So you made this thing out of cardboard, and yes, and did it have? And you had strings or no strings? No, it was not strings. It was like you know, a sharpie. I write the strings as a, with the sharpie, and then the frets. So okay. I know when I play the third fret from I the see. Lower, so you, oh, that's string. fascinating, Bakiti. So you taught yourself on this this piece of cardboard while you're singing the the line, the bass lines in your head. Yes. Now, when you're yeah. doing that, are you listening? You're listening to a piece of music. No, because the rehearsal, what we've been rehearsing 
so I remember the baseline because it's not written, so I have to yeah. remember. And then now when I get a piece of card box, so I don't have a base, but now I have a card box, so that when I go back to the rehearsal, my fingering memories, it, it remembers, you know, the muscle. And that everything. is so cool. But the only thing I'm missing is the sound, the tone, and then my right hand, because with the right hand, usually I rest on the uh, lower string. Right. To, you know, to dig in more, but now I don't have it because it's a card box. But uh, my left, I'm focusing on my left hand. Right. You know, and then when I get the real bass, it's a different adjustment. Now so, I, have, I have the strings. <laughs> when, did, when did you actually get a bass of your own that you could practice with? Well, that happens now later on, you know, because I was playing all different basses from, you know, uh, bands that I joined, but until uh -huh. 19... Um, I was about 22 years old. So like 15 years after you started, you get your yeah. first bass. Yes. And all yes. that time you're playing borrowed basses and you're playing with this, what do you call it, a cut box? A cut box box. Yeah, bass, yeah. you know, because then I remember my bass, what it looks like. So I go home and cut the cut box. It looked like a, oh, like my bass. At the that rehearsal. is so cool. Uh, I and then my mother, she bought me a bass, which is now... As I'm growing now, I can go to the city, to the music stores, and practice with their basses now. Right. Now that I can be able to take a bus on my own or a train on my own to go to the city, to the music stores, then I start practicing all the basses in the music stores, and it's so nice. But yeah. after that, I go home. So I did that a couple of times, and then one of the music stores, they said to me, hey, wait a minute, you always come here and play the basses, you never buy anything. <laughs> so what's going on with you? And I tell him, I don't have money, you know, I have a gig that I'm playing. Yeah. You know, I don't have instruments at home to practice. Right. And the guy from the shop, he pointed the fretless. He said, go play that bass. Nobody wants to play that one. You can play that one. If it breaks, it's fine. But you cannot play these ones. Fretted. So then I played the fretless. Man, it was so terrible. My tonation was so bad. And, and uh, as I played the fretless, Every time I go there, I play the fretless. Then I ask my mother to uh, to buy it for me, and she bought. Really, it. you got used to it. You liked it. It was the cheapest bass. It I hated it. One. I didn't like you it. Didn't, I you didn't like it. I hated it, but it was the cheapest bass. But it's better to have a bass that has <laughs> at least no frets, but at least it's the real bass with the sound. So did you start <laughs> when you were performing? When you after you got the fretless bass? And you had a performance. Would you use that or would you use the... Uh, after I got my fretless, I got kicked out on, on, on some commercial uh, bands, like, you know, the pop, because the tonation and the tone was not for that kind of music. But you could, uh, have, used, you could have used somebody else's bass. Well, for, 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 for that time, I mean, I wanted to play my own bass now okay. because I have my own, but okay. it just didn't fit in with, it fit in with the music that... Uh -huh. We were playing, you know, uh, Edwin and Fire, George Benson, you know, stuff. But it didn't work out. And then my cousin who plays drums and then he started to come up with some weather report and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, we started to experiment with the fusion, playing Spain, you know. And, you know, like stuff that, you know, people, they're not going to dance for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, but uh, I so did that. The fretless, the fretless bass worked better? For the fusion music, it, it, it fit? Better? Yeah, yeah, especially if you're going to play melodies, you're going to solo, you're going to play solo, then you, you start to hear the voice 
you uh, know, I can stretch out a little bit, but even that didn't work out for me for a minute because some of those songs were very hard. So if if the tonation is not good, then you know it's a problem. So I went to the mountains to Lesotho, you know, out of South Africa to work with the traditional people, and that's when really I got my uh, traditional uh, voice that was discovered by Paul Simon. You know, when you, you listen to the great. Uh, uh, the stuff songs from South Africa. You're listening to WLIWFM in Southampton, New York, 88.3 on your dial. This is Long Island's only NPR station, um, and it is 96.9 as you go west, uh, and also WLIW.org slash radio if you are listening to the streaming. You're listening to the Jam Session Radio Hour tonight. We have the privilege of listening to an interview with Bakiti Kumalo. So once you once you started using the fretless bass, you didn't turn back, even though you didn't like it. You kept using it. No, I kept being, you know using it because then the fretless is you know it just taught me how to listen to it, not to try to uh, play the traditional way. This instrument's got the voice, so you got to find the tones and you got to find what works. You listen to it. You know the other basses you just bang because you know okay, you know. I don't have to look at it, you know, the fretless, you have to look, but then you don't see anything, you know, but you just gotta, you know, use the ear. But that really helped me to develop my sound that really, uh, you know, um, got me this far. When you said you, when you said you went to the mountains and you learned the, the, and you played the traditional music. Yes. Which is the music that 
So did that did that change the way you played uh, because you were playing that music? No, the traditional music really made me understand my you know uh, you know where I come from. The African music most in, in, instead of you know yeah. playing other stuff, but I was playing more like African music. And these people, they playing with instruments that's out of tune, you know, like his a, a, a deer horn or springbok horn. Right. You know, and they, they make the sound, the guys play accordion that, you know, he bought it like 30 years ago. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's broken, it's got some tapes in it. And uh, yeah. But for me, it was about the sound, you know. I, I like that sound because it represents what's happening now, there. And uh, for me, I just took that sound and I made it work. That's that's really fascinating. So, um, and and in your career, just jumping around a little bit, but in your career, you've you've kind of always played the fretless bass. That's been one of your hallmarks. Fretless always. Um, uh, most fretless I got popular by playing on the Graceland album. When I played on the Graceland album, and then that's when the, the my voice started to hit the world, you know, the world, and and hit bass players to say, "What the hell is this? <laughs> what the heck is doing?" You know. Uh huh. And for me, it was like, okay, Paul just got exactly what he wanted because the way he wrote the stuff, and he wanted to hear the sound, and coming from South Africa. And it just made a big difference. And so, I, you know, and then I just stayed with it and capitalized on it. Played on tell, us about, tell us, I know it's a story probably often told, but the meeting, meeting him and him finding you and him uh, gravitating to that particular sound, which, you know, he, he wanted or liked. Tell us about all of, all of that, because that's fascinating, how you hooked up with Paul Simon. Well, I would say uh, one of the producers in South Africa, he, um, I think he was talking with Paul and uh, maybe suggested some stuff that there's some music, check out this music from South Africa and uh, they sent Paul stuff. And uh, some of the stuff is the ones I was playing with the people in the mountains, Lesotho. And, uh, and Paul likes that stuff and he likes the sound of, you know, the way the bass was sounding. Now, when he came to South Africa for a visit and he put that together, but in South Africa, there was record companies that they were involved. They wanted to bring their own musicians. I was not signed with anybody. I was a session musicians. But, you know, record label, they had bands that they signed. So when somebody from the international comes, they want to be part of it so that they can, you know, I don't know how they can bring their own musicians and you know, taking advantage of the situation. And uh, so, when Paul came to South Africa, you know, in the studio there was a bunch of people, a lot of people from different uh, record labels to represent, you know, their own musicians. But um, everybody is playing not what's needed. They playing to lose the gig because they were playing all kinds of stuff and slapping and everything. They didn't have the real sound. For me, it was about sound and I played two notes, then they love it, you know, and that's when Paul decided to say, listen, we're gonna stay with this bass player. We like the sound of this bass. Everybody's gonna be erased. When, as soon as they finish recording, they go home. Me, I'm staying in the studio, I'm cleaning up. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. 
And, uh, and then that's when I saw the opportunity to say, wait a minute, uh, I'm going to stay and replace this. My sound is going to save my life. Let me focus on that and not be nervous. I don't care whatever they ask me to play, but I'm just going to focus on that because they love the sound of the fretless. I'm going to stay with it. Of course, I've learned the instrument the hard way. It was not easy. I hated it in the beginning, but now this is going to save my life. And I want to do it right, not overdo it to get out of the gig. Because sometimes if I was trying to play a bunch of stuff, then it's chaotic. You know, first it was the tone, simple tone, simple playing, and that was over. Are there other, <clears throat> well, sticking with the story of, yeah. of, of Paul Simon, were there other, other instruments that, similar to him hearing the fretless bass and hearing you play the fretless bass, and and feeling that that was you know representative of a sound that he wanted were there other instruments that he he chose as well or other players no there was other instruments you know we had a saxophone players and uh, we had guitar players we had drummers but for him it was about that sound sound from south africa that you know people never had you right. know uh the sound and then he can work around the sound. Okay, I take this piece and then I, I add my piece. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we play in a measure chord. Everything is measure, one, four, one, five, or one, four, five. But then he gets tired of that and say, wait a minute, let's add some minor <laughs> with some flattened feet when we go to the bridge or we go to the chorus or something, you know, you change it. But he likes the sound of it, no matter what we played, it was a sound because we played innocent, not like we went to school. You know, I mean, mm. I play, I play the fretless daddy, like you know, hey, this is it. You know, yeah. uh, it's an African sound. You're playing African music, and this is how I play. And uh, yeah, he had a lot of people. I mean, even Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, the ten-piece group singers. Yes. And um, you know, Ray Perry, the guitar player, Isaac. People who really play like you know commercial music with like like a sound. Uh huh. So then, did he bring you to the U.S.? Yes, uh, we came back to New York. I think 1986 for uh, more recordings, and then after that, we did uh, um, a Saturday Night Live as the promotion to play one song, and came back and uh, did some stuff Radio City. Uh huh. And then we just keep coming, you know, the next thing we spend time in London for five months now, practice the Graceland tour. You know, the okay. record is playing out now. I mean, it's... But Graceland was recorded where? Uh, some in South Africa, some in New York. Okay. <coughs> and once you, once you were playing with his fretless bass and, he, and, he, and, and you knew he loved the sound, then, then you... You were fine with it, right? You just kept going. You kept doing that. No, I kept doing it with that. But then he got me another bass, you know. Uh huh. Actually, I got a new bass in South Africa before I came here. Um, another fretless bass? No, it was a fretted. Oh. Now, because I mean, he knew that. Okay, I think he needs a fretted. So if we play the box, or <laughs> you know. Right. The stuff that doesn't have to do with the Graceland and, uh, you know, me and Julio and, you know, some other right. songs. Right, so other, other sounds. Yeah, still crazy after all these years. And so because he knew that I can play from the African stuff now can be, you know, I can 
communicate easier when he wants some, you know, something. Okay. You know, can be always uh, involved, and I've been doing that for the last 36 years now. Yeah. But, um, so, with other African music, other African music that was being played at the time that you were starting to play the fretless bass, um, were there others who were playing fretless basses with that music? or In that South Africa? Yeah. No, no, there was, I was the only, I would say, only black uh, uh, fretless player. But huh. there was other couple of, you know, uh, 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 like white players were playing right. fretless, like this guy, um, great teacher, great uh, bass player. His name is Carlos Bombelli. Uh -huh. He was playing, but he was playing more very having guard stuff, you know, that's really different than the African. Me, I was on the simple side. Right. I I play what was needed when the township people they like to hear drink and dance and hear this music, you know. That was my, right. my job. Right. But Carlos was more like a educator, you know, teaching about fretless and everything. Not as popular as me in the township. When you guys were recording the Graceland album, did you know that I mean did you kinda of have the feeling that you were doing something that was really extraordinary and it was going to be perceived by the world as extraordinary? I saw that with the, the way I was being uh, uh, treated, like, you know, they just gave me that comfort, like, hey, you got this. Uh -huh. You got this, you know, just keep giving, you know, you got the power. Right. And for me, it was enough college to learn, you know, when you send your kids to college for two, three, four years, they have to see because everything has been represented to them. You know, and uh, so they can pick and go forward. So for me, it was about, this is it. I had no education. I never went to school. And I'm playing this and they're loving it. The engineer is like, man, there's nobody play like that. You, you got this. And for me, it was about, that's enough. I just got to go back to the hotel and try to calm myself down and not be nervous and just... <laughs> Co communicate and play what's needed because it's all about what's needed you know and then when they need more from you you have it you know not just bring more the beginning they tell you to stop <laughs> it's too much then you know it's, uh, it's not good
The Jam Session Radio Hour is supported by Bayard Fenwick as a sponsor and underwriter. As part of the Terry Cohen team, located at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate, Bayard is well-versed in the residential real estate market from Bridgehampton to East Hampton to Amagansett to Montauk. Bayard believes there are three parts to the value of a property. Land value, improvements made to the property, and an emotional component. You can reach Bayard Fenwick at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate at 631-324-7575. That's 631-324-7575. The Jam Session Radio Hour is also supported by Oza Sabbath Architects of Bridgehampton, New York. Oza Sabbath Architects both designs and builds homes, believing that a well-designed home suffuses our lives with the essential elements of balancing and recharging. Oza Sabbath Architects can be reached at ozasabbath.com. That's O-Z-A-S-A-B-B-E-T-H.com. And at 631-808-3036. That's 631-808-3036. Thanks for continuing to be with us on WLIW-FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard at 96.9 as you go west and WLIW.org slash radio if you are streaming. It's the Jam Session Radio Hour. We're listening to an interview with Bakiti Kumalo. I'm your host, John Landis. Have you had the opportunity to do any music mentoring in, in Africa? That's what I'm working on. Um, you know, I'm trying to do some things and, uh, you know, um, do some fundraise. I have a signature ukulele base that just came out on, uh, on May 2nd. So I'm working on putting something together like that to go back to Africa as, as a South African bass player who's now got his signature instrument to go to Africa to help them out. But I'm, I've been talking to like, you know, music stores, but because of the economy and how much things are so expensive to send things to them, like, you know, I can send a couple of bases to them and I have some friends they want to give the instruments to them, but it's costing us a lot of money to ship those things. Right now I'm working with the music store, see how they can bring, they can help us to um, bring this instrument using their company so that people can go and collect them and uh, see how we can go uh, distance with this whole thing. Right. But I'm working on it. Uh, it's not an easy thing because especially like in South Africa, the system is just not really good for musicians. Musicians have no gigs, have no benefit, have nothing. Uh-huh. Have nothing, really have nothing. The DJs, they take over now because they just want one person. All the clubs, they don't use musicians now. Right. And, uh, it, and this happens when I was in South Africa, even back in the day. But it's even worse now. And for me to see it from this side, it's, it's just not a, yeah. It's not good. So you wonder why kids, you know, students in Africa, I mean, uh, in a situation like that, would even want to become, you know, working musicians because they don't see a future. Yes. Well, they want to be musicians. There's, there's a talent, but the only problem is to be a musician and lack of instruments and you don't have a support, you don't have a country that has... Uh, a music center where people can find a little bit of, you know, hope, peace. And my thing now that what I'm thinking is that uh, to go back home and put the music 
instruments in the classrooms of these schools, like in the township, and said, look, that saved my life. It can save your life. At least you're going to have it. I didn't have it, but now I got it for you. Yeah. Go forward. But that I, we have to work with the system. And if the system is not supporting that, it's, it's not good because they can have this instrument, but then sell them because they need to survive. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, so when you do the mentoring here yeah. uh, in the States, um, you go into a, a music classroom that already exists, like a jazz band in a high school or a middle school. How do you do it? No, I work with the Lehigh University. Oh, you work with the university? Yeah, in, in Long Island, I work with uh, East End Arts in Riverhead. So in the East End Arts, they represent me with a program and say, okay, here's what we need, seven weeks of music program, summer camp, music, mentors. What can you do? And then my thing is to find a piano player. And then the school, they send newsletters to schools to say, we're looking for the kids that can communicate. They know how to read music. They know how to play. Send us your videos of your best performance. Let's build on, on that. Let's create a set list for you. And a bunch of kids sign up. Um, I had about 23 kids sign up, and I had like five bass players. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, five bass players. How am I going to do it to this, you know, because it's... Well, some of the kids came in because they know I'm the bass player. Right. But, but, uh, but then we had to figure out, okay, other kids, how we can put this together and how I can split five bass players, at least to play a duet or split the songs. Okay, you're going to play these songs and you're going to play that songs, and then sometimes you're going to play your bass solo by yourself. Work on your piece. You know, and then you're going to open the show with your piece and then practice that piece for seven weeks play that piece until it's tight and, uh, and then I go in and dial in the amp and show him the, the good tone and the bad tone, you know, and work with the kids. And then my piano player works with the kids, play saxophone, flute, the singers, you know, and put, put that together for them. And then by the end of the seven weeks, we had 16 songs to play. And it was a great concert. These kids, they performed freely. No kids was nervous. They were even helping each other too, <laughs> you know? That's great. Because I tell them, I'm not a music teacher. I'm the person who learned music the hard way, but I just want you to have fun, and I want someday you can go out and see the world. If you think you want to be a musician, it comes with a price. You have to practice. You have to do a lot of things to understand music. You have to go deeper. You don't listen to one thing. You listen to the whole globe, the whole cultures, Indian, anything, anything. Find that music is going to make you a better musician in the future. Because, I mean, I came from South Africa. Now I get a chance to play with, you know, musicians from all over the place. I play with Irish musicians because I want to play music. I don't want to be limited as an African musician, but I want to be as a musician. Not just a bass player as well, because I have a grand piano. I play my piano. I play saxophone. People, they didn't know I play saxophone. I right. play keep, you know, because, you know, I want to I wanna have this music. So for me, is to give these kids this whole information and say, okay, let's take this 
this creates something you know stop asking your dad some money you can practice and then what I'll do I'll talk to venues like I talked to Stephen Talkhouse and I said hey I have these kids that they been doing the music mentors with me I want them to experience this and come in and play in a place where there's a big sound system good place and yeah. uh, so we did that like Sunday afternoon you know kids and parents showed up and kids do the sound check and I said don't play when the sound is not right <laughs> you know uh-huh. just like you know keep them going so that they understand that hey I want to be free when my sound is right that means I'm free to play I know everything what to play but it's just you know what's the sound that's when I come in and uh, now these kids they recording they're doing their own shows and uh, I, I keep going and I have another program coming up June um, June uh, 20 to 24, five days music program. And I got a lot of kids now, 28 kids, they signing up to work with me. That's also East End Arts? Uh, no, this one is here in, in Lehigh University. Okay. And these, the are, these are college age kids? This, the, the little one is nine years old. Wow. He plays drums. So now, it gets very interesting now, I was talking to the teachers this morning. That okay, so the little ones, let's get the students that they already know how to play to work with them from the university. You see what I'm right. saying? And right. then the older ones, because we have like the the you know the the teenagers now, the college one, those that they need more time and need you know time we're gonna spend. We only got five days, so the little ones they can work with the um, the students from Lehigh University for two days just to you know keep them going. But the older ones, we're going to be very serious with them because they, if they read music, let's play what's written. And, yeah. uh, and then work on the sound on, on that. And we're going to have a lot of things. And I'm going to show them uh, uh, under African Skies video from South Africa, you know, how I got to this far and where I came from. So that they have an understanding. What is, uh, what's the video under African Skies? That's a documentary? Yeah, that's a documentary. <clears throat> and tell us about that. Well, the Under African Skies was uh, was shot 2012. Uh, you know, going back second time to South Africa. Yeah, it was the 25th anniversary Under African Skies. So Under African Skies, it's got the whole information about when Paul went to South Africa. How difficult was political? You know, it's something that people can see and how much the Graceland saved my life to, uh, to, to, to be here, you know. It was not an easy thing. It was political for me as well to say, why did you play with Paul Simon, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, I mean, I, I didn't understand why they were saying that when I've been given an opportunity, but I didn't listen to the, uh, the, the, the government who's not clear to people what, you know, not giving people and then tell people what not to do. For me, it was not acceptable. And uh, if if they had music centers, they're supporting the music. It's one thing to say, "Oh, I cannot get into you know involved with any project because they're giving me the funds. They don't give the musicians the funds. And this is my talent. I struggle with my talent all these years to 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 prepare myself for now. And they're going to tell me not to do that now. That's but then it became really uh, very very. So who, who, who produced Under African Skies? That was your project? 
Now, <clears throat> who produces Af and Africans guys is. Uh, um, but it focuses it's, it's on a you. Different camp, huh? It focuses on you and that whole experience. Well, it's about me also being part of that. I'm I'm in the movie as You're well. In. Okay. I'm, I'm in the movie talking about how you know Paul saved us, and Paul is talking about how right. he was invited by musicians to come right. to South Africa. Okay. It's very interesting. If you haven't seen it, you know. I want to see yeah, it. Check, check it out. It's uh, it's it's very deep. You know. so tell us about your. We don't have too much time left, but tell us about your, your 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 individual albums and how your music has changed. That you've that's been your own music where you've done it as Bukitu Kamalo, um, and how many albums and and what they're like. Yeah, well, you know, even before Graceland, now I did two records in South Africa: Step on the Baseline and another second one in Friendly Basis and uh, with different producers and, and then I moved, I came here, I did uh, a record called Greetings with Steve Kahn, Don Elias, um, you know, just a, a bunch of people that were signed by Siam Records, independent label. And I did a second album with that same company with Jason Miles, who did Miles Davis and, uh, you know, that album Tutu with Marcus Miller and uh, you know, just working with a bunch of producers. And then after that, my third record in the States, it's called uh, um, After All These Years. And I got Mark Getz, phenomenal saxophone player from Long Island. And I worked with Mark Getz, and we did that record, and I took him to South Africa, and they loved him, came back. And uh, I'm still writing, and I wrote another project. It's called... Um, uh, transmigration, transmigration with the different people, Anton Fig, and you know, just a bunch of musicians did that. And uh, uh, this is me, I mean, like uh, so many projects, but this one it's a most important record for me. It's called What You Hear Is What You See, and the reason why because my writing skills have stepped up a little bit to this project. This right, this project, it's uh, you know, it's more deeper. It's not commercial music, but it's it's music that was thoughtful and and musicians who played on it. I have a lot of great musicians, and uh, one of my uh, producer in Philadelphia who put some other musicians together to uh, record this project. This is a project you're working on now. It's it's out, it's out. But now I'm putting the band together, which is we're gonna be playing in Long Island for the first time to lie at the um, at the Hamptons Jazz Fest yes it's called Baguit Kumalo's what you hear is what you see oh right awesome yet. that's gonna be July 30th at I think at the Southampton Art Center yes that's wonderful that's yes wonderful. yes and this album you know uh, I, I put together the last few uh, tours the final tours with Paul you know, when I have three days off in the city, in the town, or the country, and uh, I would look for the homeless people and talk to them, sometimes give them my clothes because my suitcase is packed, and also just trying to find the stories, what's going on, why they're on the street, and everything. You know, so I would hear these crazy stories, and then I go back to the hotel, take my base, and then start thinking like, you know, these stories, they're similar to my story, because I was homeless when I was a kid, but... I, I was looking for music, 
you know, I was not a homeless, just struggling and saying, what am I doing? I, right. you know, but I was, it, there was a purpose for me to leave my home and, uh, you know, and go and live with other people and, and find music. So this album, it's got that, and even the beginning of the record is called What You Hear Is What You See. I have a spoken words person on the record, and the music, when you listen to it, the arrangement, it just, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Tell, um, so just to finish up, tell us about some of the performing that you've done. So we've got about July 30th, you're going to be out here doing that for the first time. But um, how, how much performing have you been able to do in the last year and where? You know, just pops up gigs here and there because of the pandemic, of course. So there's not much going on. But uh, when my record came, um, I was invited to go to Los Angeles to play two shows in L.A. There's a place called Grand Annex and then the San Pedro. Grand Annex is Herb Albert, the trumpet player's club. So I was invited to come and play there, and it was very successful. Came back to play in New York, and I did some uh, different places. I played the uh, Long Long Island, uh, Indigo, just here and then. We just played at the Jazz Loft in Stony Brook uh, not no. too long ago with the South African All Stars. And uh, then I came back. I did the base camp base boot camp in Philadelphia, which I obviously, I mean, I'm always performing, even if I'm not doing the show, I'm doing a clinic for my product, the equipment that I'm using. So, so I'm always... South African All-Stars is, is your project, or it's a band that you play with? It's my project that I put together, you know, because and I feel like I've been playing with Morris Goldberg for so many years, and his nephew, David Bravo, and then, of course, our drummers, his Long Island drummers that I thought, you know, let's keep us together because they're from South Africa and let's break the ice here, you know, because we both South Africa, South Africans who came from different backgrounds, and but music is, it's one. And I've been doing this project with Morris, even though he's now in the 85 or he's going to be 86 soon. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we will just keep going because for him too, it's healthy for him to play. We do this for him. Right. You know, and I'm actually, I'm going to be playing with him not uh, in the next couple of days, I think May 15. Really? Yeah. Where will that be? Do you know? We're going to be playing, uh, it's a private concert. I think it's going to be one of the pier in, 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 in Manhattan, in New York. Okay. Okay. That's great. You know. Well, yeah, just, you know, the music, the music never has, uh, I mean, it's, it, like you said, it, it saved you, it brought you forward, it gave you, you know, it gave you purpose, and, and here you are, you know, still on the verge of, uh, <laughs> what, in, in your mid-60s, and it still propels you. Yeah, I tell you, listen, I just came back from Los Angeles, we were in LA for, for Salute to Paul Simon, and to have all these people singing Paul's music, and for me being part of it uh, since the Graceland, and uh, I was very touched about yeah. it, you know, because then it's like, wow, you know, Paul trusted me all these years with the bass, because I knew what it needs, you know, how to play these songs, and uh, and now to be invited for him to be honored by Grammys and playing 
with yeah. all this amazing, you know, I, I can't talk about it now because it's going to be released in right. the next couple of weeks, but it's going to be amazing when people, they see it. And, uh, so that's going to be released, uh, the tribute to Paul Simon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just an honor for me that I keep going. Well, and I have my own music, and then eventually I'll have a documentary or, or, or an audio book. I'm working on a bunch of things. and uh, Yeah. Well, it's an honor for us to be able to talk to you, Bakiti, and uh, we obviously... Thank you so much, John. More. Thank you. We want to be able to do it again and get more deeply into things. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Jam Session Radio Hour. Stick around, uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Um, don't go away, Bikiti, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Jam Session Radio Hour. We're so happy you joined us. Thank you for all those who helped make this happen. Cleus Brondahl, our music director for the Jam Session. And we thank Bayard Fenwick III of Saunders for their support as an underwriter and also Osa Sabbath Architects in Bridgehampton, also a supporter and underwriter of the Jam Session Radio Hour. We thank WLIW for making this happen, for allowing us to be on their air. Uh, we are p- proud and happy to be providing them these programs. These are podcasts. You can, re- you can uh, re-listen to them uh, on your favorite platforms. And also, if you go to WLIW.org slash radio, you will find the podcasts. The Jam Session Radio Hour produces also the Hamptons Jazz Fest coming up this summer. Um, next occasion, I think, is John Robigon on May 20. Uh, we also have one coming up on June 3rd that's going to be great. Um, and we'll be announcing some really interesting things. But go to the website, hamptonsjazzfest.org, to see what's coming up this summer in July, August, and September. Once again, we've put together a great, great, great uh, uh, assembly of jazz, live, uh, live and local, uh, for you to enjoy, mostly free, and uh, that's great. Um, big news, July 2nd, Wynton Marsalis and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra will be at the... Southampton Art Center. Tickets are going to be $250, and uh, you should be able to get those on the um, the site soon, on the Southampton um, Art Center uh, site. So that's a big event. Um, we thank you for being with us. We hope that you continue to uh, enjoy live music. We're, glad, we're so glad to bring this show to you, as well as live programs and the other things that we produce, among them Jazz Night at the Masonic Temple in Sag Harbor. Check it out Tuesday nights, 7 to 9. <clears throat> this is John Landis wishing you all the best. And take care of yourselves. Be well. And for the Jam Session Radio Hour, good night. Good night.